several languages. I think I've told the story. Hey, I, I think I've told the story about. Um, uh, I think I've told the story before about how uh, these kids that I was teaching were from all over the world, and I had you know I'd tell them, okay, it's quiet down, it's time to start class, and then you know the English would stop, and then there'd still be French going. Uh, the French Canadian kids or whatever, and you'd hear these different languages. And I learned how to to say uh, b- basically be quiet in like three different languages. Okay, so anyway, I tell tell you this whole story to remind you of this because I think about those hockey kids sometimes because they're adults now, basically most of them, and uh, I, I think about them. Um, I don't think a lot about them, but I think about them sometimes. So. Uh, as I said, I had to go to the basics. I had to be like, okay, so this big number is the chapter and this small number is the verse. And like go very basic. So some of them, they never, they never held the Bible. It never cracked it open, right? And so we did that. And I've told you some of those stories. I'm sure you'll hear more about them. And I'm sure I will repeat some of them over the years. But there was one kid in there uh, uh, named Finley. And Finley was from Australia. And uh, he was one of my uh, one of my favorites of him because he would engage with me in conversation and discussion. He liked to debate. He was he was pretty much an atheist, you know. He thought Christianity was kind of dumb, and here he was living with these Christians in a host home and in this Christian school. And he went through it and and didn't believe and uh, never became a Christian and just that was it. And so, like I don't know, a few years ago. Um, I had, after, the year after I had left the school, I had messaged with him, because I looked back on my message, I had messaged with him and said, hey, are we going to, um, are you guys going to be playing in Chicago? I'd like to come see you if you're close, because I wanted to see the kids again and maybe have some of those, you know, we'd had some good conversations, and anyway, I never made it over, it didn't, we didn't connect on that. So that's like five years ago. So yesterday I'm sitting out this soccer game, and I get this message, and I'm like, it's from Finley, and I'm like, Okay, it's Facebook Messenger, could be a hack, could be some weird thing, you know, and I see it's a link to a YouTube video, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, right? So I open it up, it's sitting by Bethany, thankfully I have my sunglasses on, I I open it up, and I look, and it says, um, thought you might want to see this, Uh, I thought I'd send this to you because you were a part of my story. There's a video of his testimony of how he became a Christian and got baptized at this church he's at now in Texas. And he, and he got, he got baptized, like the like as the night the night of as they were shutting everything down last year for COVID, he got baptized. And there was, I mean, they had pictures on this video, a picture of it, and um, and so I get this, uh, whew, I get this message, and I'm sitting there, and we're amped up because you know soccer and all this stuff, and I get this message, and I'm like. I didn't even watch the video at that point yet, and I just said to Bethany, it's one of my soccer guys. I just started crying, right? And I'm out there, and there's people all around, and so I was really glad I had my sunglasses on, right? There's tears running down my cheeks. And um, so here's why I tell that story. That is not a pat-pat on me, because honestly, his story didn't have anything really to do with me, except that he was at a Christian school for a while, and I got to interact with him. So, um, so uh, why I tell that story is because you might be in a situation like I find myself in sometimes, which is this. We work and work and we focus on the kingdom and the gospel and and reaching people and trying to tell people about Jesus. And we, long time, we don't see any fruit. 
or you know, there's not a lot of more people that start coming to church, or or our Sunday school class, or what? I mean, I know we don't do that here, but whatever. Our Bible study doesn't seem to get any bigger or get any better, or you know. And it happens to me all the time. And so this week, I'm getting ready to preach about worry and anxiety, and I am actually worrying about whether I'm going to be good. Okay. Now that is not an invitation for compliments. Okay, it's not what that is, but. I'm worried about, okay, am I going to be faithful to this? Am I going to be saying this text right? Are people going to get something out of this? Is this? I start to worry, and I was reminded that the Word of God does its work. All I have to do is be faithful to present it. And so I want to tell you that as encouragement to you. I get this message, and this always happens. Anytime I'm doubting my uh, effectiveness or how God might be using me, one of my old students will send me a message out of the blue and tell me something like this or whatever. And again, I didn't have a lot to do with this story, okay? So that's not, this is not, this is on God. This is me saying, and that's what I replied to him, is that only Jesus could have done this. Only Jesus could have done this. And so as we go into today, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're talking about that, and I know that I didn't, I know this is extra, this is a free part, you don't have to pay extra for this, okay? Uh, uh, I just want to encourage you. That even, we're going to talk about God providing in our, in our daily needs and things like that, but even in our, our, our ministries and as we work, as we serve him, as we share him, we need to trust him for the outcome and the results. He will do what he's going to do. His word is sufficient. Teaching some hockey kids the gospel is paying dividends from five years ago, and, and, and I didn't know if anything was ever going to come of it. And we talk about it, right? We're like, well, you're planting seeds, or you know. And we kind of do that to make ourselves feel better. But no, we have to decide, are we going to trust that God will work through his word? Which brings us to today's message. I know, you were hoping that was all the introduction. That's not even my notes, guys. It's not even my notes, all right? So, uh, anyway... So there was a guy, Henry Ward Beecher. One of his favorite stories was about this young man who was applying for a job in a New England factory. And uh, asking for the owner, he found himself in the presence of a nervous and fidgety man, kind of looked hopelessly dyspeptic and just, just fidgety. The only vacancy here, this man told the applicant, is a vice presidency. The man that takes that job must shoulder all of my cares. That's a tough job, said the applicant. What's the salary? I'll pay you 10000 a year if you will really take over all of my worries. Take all my worries on yourself. Where is the 10000 coming from, asked the applicant suspiciously. That, my friend, replied the owner, is your first worry. Anxiety and worry can paralyze you emotionally, psychologically, They will both steal your joy, your peace, your sleep, and many other things from you. And I know that because I struggle with them myself. Robert Frost, the poet, said, The reason why worry kills more people than work is that more people worry than work. Wow, okay. Robert Frost swinging for the fences back then. Of worry, James Merritt says this. He says, sometimes it is carved into our bodies by sores that we, carry, uh, that we carry ulcers. 
that we call ulcers, excuse me. Sometimes it's etched into our faces by lines that we call wrinkles. It may be pictured on our lips by the shape we call a frown. It can be heard in footsteps pacing back and forth across the floor late at night. Sometimes it is muffled by the silence of someone laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, and being unable to go to sleep. And you may have found yourself in that situation even recently. But in today's passage, and in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to read about how we should trust God rather than giving worried thought to our needs. Now, this passage includes practical implications of the preceding discussion that Jesus had given. So Jesus lays out a practical implication of what he had said about laying up treasure in heaven instead of on earth. And if you missed that, you can go back and catch the video or listen to the audio uh, on our podcast feed. But he goes and he lays out really also the implications of what he had taught uh, when he taught the disciples to, to pray the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And I hope that you will see the interconnectedness of King Jesus' teachings and grasp what it means for us to live as worry-free citizens of the kingdom of God. And I know that sounds like a tall order. It's a tall order, so let's see what the Lord has to say about it in his word. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, help us. God, help us understand your word, help us understand what it means, and help us understand how it applies in our life. God, I just pray that if there's anything that's just of me, I pray you would, you would clear it out. God, that you would speak clearly to your people, that you would be big, Jesus. Help me be clear, keep us humble, and help us trust in you. May I truly decrease and you increase Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Anxiety, worry. Jesus addresses them straight on, head on. He says, don't be anxious about your life or your body. So what is worry or anxiety? Well, it, I want us to think about it in this way, worried thought. This is that focusing on all that could happen, focusing and worrying on all the bad that can happen and giving it concerted thought about, oh, it could be this and that and what's going to happen and who is that? Uh, and, and he says about your life, 
And he says, your food, your food, what you're going to eat, how you're going to put, how that food's going to hit the table, what's it going to be? Here's the thing, food is great, right? Amen? I mean, food is great. We ate at Dairy Queen last night um, on the way home, and uh, I had a brownie batter blizzard. What? Food is great. All right, and that's just fast food, which is really junk, right? But that was really good. Okay, it was treat. It was treat day. All right, it was cheat day. Whatever. <laughs> so food's great. It's necessary for our bodies to function properly. Notice though, food makes a terrible master. And Jesus had just modeled the disciples' prayer, and one of the sections, one of the parts of that was asking for their daily bread. What reason would we have to believe that God would not provide our daily bread if Jesus instructs us to pray for our daily bread? Carson points out that it's actually an affront to God to constantly worry about how future meals are going to be provided. Now, I want to give a little caveat here. That does not, that does not forbid planning or foresight. So looking ahead and figuring out, okay, I need to budget this much for groceries out of my paycheck, okay? It's not saying not to do that, okay? It is saying, though, we shouldn't worry about where it's going to come from. So it doesn't forbid planning or foresight or budgeting, but it does forbid worry and anxiety about it. Look, I, I know this. It's hard not to worry, all right? I think worry is genetically in my family, okay? Because I knew my grandmother and... Uh, her name was Gervis, and my brother and I jokingly, and I don't know if she ever heard us because she might have not appreciated it, we called her Nervous Gervis uh, sometimes because she was a worrier. And my mom is a worrier, and I love my mom, but she knows it. She knows she's a worrier, okay? And she may hear this, and I love you, mom, and you know you're a worrier, and genetically, apparently, so am I. Uh, and so it's hard not to worry. It's hard. It's easy for us to say not to worry, but it's harder to do in our flesh. And so Jesus gives us three reasons why we should not be worriers. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list these, and then we're going to spend uh, the next few main points kind of breaking them down. But uh, the first one is reasons why we shouldn't worry is it's unnecessary for the children of such a father. As we have a father like God, worry is unnecessary for us. Secondly, it's unworthy, worry is unworthy in subjects of such a kingdom. Subjects who live within the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the already but not yet kingdom of God, worry is unworthy in subjects of the kingdom. It doesn't belong there because we have the king we have and live in the kingdom we live in. And number three is it's unfruitful. You can't add any time to your life by worry. Worry doesn't earn you anything but ulcers and wrinkles, right? And those will come on their own without the worry. The, the, well, the wrinkles, I don't know about the ulcers. So we need to, he says, there's a, there's a prohibition. Do not be anxious about our life or our body, our food or our clothing. Do not be anxious about such things. Secondly, trust God to provide for your needs as his children. Trust God to provide for your needs as his children. This is found, we find this when we look at verses 26 through 29 where Jesus gives us some illustrations to help, to help us understand, to help his, his followers who are listening to this, to help them understand, he gives some illustrations from nature. First, he 
talks about the birds. The birds, and I want to point something out about the birds. If you take a look at verse, take a look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Okay, who feeds the birds? Not their heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ are children of the heavenly Father. They are family members of God and have value as those created in his image and recreated through Jesus Christ. God brought us, excuse me, God bought us with such a great and high price and therefore we are of infinite worth and value to the Lord and your, your father will take care of you. Your father takes care of the birds. How much more will he take care of those who are his children? Who have souls that were bought with a price at Calvary. Sinclair Ferguson has worded it this way. Your life is in the hands of your father. He's designed it. He knows the end of it from the beginning. He plans each step of the way to fulfill his purpose for you and through you. You will have all you need to fulfill that purpose. And when that is accomplished, you will be taken home to be with him. My friend Jim says, I'm invincible until God's done with me. And when God's done with me here, I don't want to be here anymore. It's interesting. So Ferguson goes on. Why worry when he has your life in his hands? Your worry is a sign that you do not adequately know him or that you do not trust him and have not yet yielded to him as you ought. It is when we want to take our lives out of the Father's hands and have them under our own control that we find ourselves gripped with anxiety. The secret of freedom from anxiety is freedom from ourselves and abandonment of our own plans. But that spirit emerges in our lives only when our minds are filled with the knowledge that our Father can be trusted implicitly to supply everything we need. The only way to get rid of worry is to trust that God provides everything we need. It's not like we can just say, worry, get away. No, we have to actively be trusting the Father. He mentions the lilies of the field. Oh, not even Solomon was clothed as splendidly as the lilies, right? Did you know that the United States clothing industry is a 12 billion, with a B, billion, 12 billion dollar business? According to Real Cost by Emma Johnson, the average American spends $1,700 on clothes each year. Okay? So, (laughs) I'm not going to say who, but I did see someone just stare at their wife and someone else stare at their daughter. That was really funny. Um... (laughs) Not saying who, though. Not saying who. The, but, but if there's whiplash later, we'll know why. Um, so the average American spends $1,700 on clothes each year. Now, J- Johnson says poignantly, she writes this, What is significant is whether that money is spent on need or waste. And the answer is largely waste. You know, when I was in Uganda a few years ago, I helped out at a camp training young people to lead chronological Bible storying, Bible study groups, and hopefully they would eventually start churches. 
And I've got many pictures, and and I'll tell you what you'll notice is that in this week-long camp, there were pictures from different days, and many of the students in those pictures are wearing the same clothes in multiple pictures, taken on different days. One guy I noticed, um, I think his name was Godwin, if I remember correctly, and and Godwin was in, he was in my group, and he had a University of Missouri Tigers shirt, and uh, my wife is from Missouri, and so I point out, and I was trying, you know, a point of connection. Said, oh, my wife is from there, you know, meaning the state of Missouri. He had no clue what I was talking about. He had no clue what that was on his shirt. It was just a shirt that he picked up at whatever roadside clothing shop. It, it, it wasn't really seemingly, he wasn't too worried about where his clothing was going to come from or what it was about. It was just, it looked nice, and it was there. It covered his back. So back in the days that Jesus walked the earth with the disciples, there wasn't a ton of money to waste for people. Many of the people owned what they were wearing on their back, and that's about it. Now you've got to love Jesus, who basically does a question and answer session here, where he not only gives the answers, but also asks the questions and then answers them. He points out the lilies are splendidly clothed. And if God is going to take care of this stuff that will be tossed into the fire as fuel... Won't he even more so take care of your needs? Absolutely. And he says that if, if the grass of the field, well, grass and weeds were used as fuel for fires. So something awesome I just saw today is this, that that, that grass and plant life was used as fuel for fire. Who benefited from fire? The people. So even that which Jesus points to as saying, God's taking care of the grass of the field, Even that that God is taking care of is used to provide for the people because God cares for the stuff he uses to help us along, uh, excuse me, God cares for the stuff he uses to help us along so much and if he does, he will absolutely give us what we need. You can trust him. And he comes to the end of that little section there and he says to them, you of little faith. You of little faith. Jesus makes use of this phrase, not because the disciples doubted his existence, okay, but because they doubted God's ability to take care of them. This is a phrase he would use elsewhere in Matthew as well, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. When they doubt God's ability to take care of them, he says they're of little faith. Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And in Matthew 16, 8, but Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Whenever they doubted God's ability, Jesus' ability to take care of them, that was when he used that phrase, you have little faith. Here's the thing. Our desire to sit and to stew over what may or may not happen is a symptom of a deeper problem in our hearts. Ultimately, the problem is not the worry itself. The problem is that we're not trusting God, our Heavenly Father, to take care of us. You may say that, hey, I absolutely trust him to take care of me. 
But sometimes, now listen close, sometimes when his way of taking care of you doesn't match the way you want to be taken care of, we find we start to get worry, or to get anxious and worry, excuse me. See, worry often is a symptom of unbelief in our hearts. George Muller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. So now, we've taken what seems to be a kind of surface thing as worry, or worry about food, or worry about what we're going to wear, and we've drilled down on it, we've found, we've uncovered some unbelief. Trust is the key. When we don't trust God to provide, it's like saying... I trust that chair to hold me up, but never sitting in it, right? If I say, I I trust this chair is going to hold me up. Actually, let's put it up here so everybody can see. If I say, I trust that this chair is going to hold me up, I can sit in that chair and I trust it's going to hold me up, all right? But I sit over here and I never sit in that chair, do I really trust, could you, do you believe that I really would trust that chair to hold me up? No. True trust in that chair is when I walk over and I sit down and I, I hold on here, right? No. It's when I sit down and I take and put my feet up. Somebody's upset I just put my feet on the table, right? Sorry. But uh, it's part of the illustration. Just, just, I love you. Deal with it. Okay. Um, and now, what happens? My trust is in, is in this chair because if this chair breaks, I'm falling, right? My rear's on the floor. If this chair breaks, I put my trust in it, and if it fails, I'm sunk. And that's what our trust in God is supposed to be like, that if he fails, I'm sunk. Because you know what? He ain't going to fail. He's not going to fail. And when we don't trust him, It's as if we're saying, I don't believe you can do this without fail. So you're telling the God who created you, the God who bought you with the blood of Jesus the Son, God in the flesh, that he can't take care of it. Or that you don't believe he will take care of it. Well, I believe he can take care of it. But you're not sitting in the chair. Charles Quarles summarizes this teaching well. He says, a person's survival depends on divine sovereignty, not human anxiety. So our survival, our getting our daily needs depends on God's sovereign control, not our anxiety. Third, because you see how God takes care of the lesser things, You can trust him with your life. We find this in verses 30 through 32 of the passage. Don't be like the pagans. He mentions the Gentiles. Those who did not know the Lord didn't have a living God to trust their need, or to trust to meet their needs. Excuse me. I'm having trouble talking this morning. Those who did not know the Lord, those who were not at this point, they were not the Gentiles, so they were not Jews, okay? This was before they realized that Gentiles got Jesus too. 
okay? But don't live like pagans. Don't live like, in other words, don't live like those who don't have a living God to trust their needs. Don't live like those, uh, (laughs) don't live like you don't either. So live like someone who has a heavenly father who despite our wretched and sinful nature when we were at enmity with God, he sent Jesus the son of God, God in the flesh to earth. He wrapped himself in flesh, came as a baby, born to a virgin. He lived a human life but was completely sinless and perfect and pure. No evil thoughts, no evil intentions, no worry, no anxiety. And then because sin must be paid for with blood, he willingly gave his life on a criminal's cross in our place for our sin. You and I deserve justly and rightly that wrath of God to be poured out upon us for our sin, and yet he took it, took our sin upon himself and gives us in exchange his righteousness, his right standing before God given to us. How incredible is that? Why, why would we think that a God who would go to such great lengths to provide for our salvation would not also provide us with lunch or socks? That's what we're talking about, Right? And after he was dead for three days, he arose. He's alive. That kind of power is the power of God and the power of our king. And you're still not sure if you can trust him to give you pants? It seems silly to us when we put it in that context. But it's exactly what we sit at home and do. So what should we do about it? Well, Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, the verb used there is that, that uh, present imperative, right? It's that, it's that continually, I didn't just say that wrong. It's that continuous action. So keep on seeking, constantly be seeking. Uh, there's a movie, Glen, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Alec Baldwin's character, Blake, says, always be closing. To the salesman, always be closing. So I say, always be seeking. Always be seeking first the kingdom of God. Always be seeking first his righteousness. And it says all these things will be added to you. What do we get from that? Well, make the kingdom of God your primary object of desire. The thing that you want more than anything is the kingdom of God and his will to be done. And when you do, you will find the ability to trust him to meet your needs. Because you'll be focusing on doing his work and seeing him get the glory. You won't have as much trouble trusting that he's going to take care of you because your focus will be on him and not on yourself. Here's the thing about this. The Sermon on the Mount has been saying this. In the Beatitudes, we find that what a citizen of the kingdom is to be like, what what they're focused on. It gives us little glimpses of the kingdom to come and and when it comes, the fullness in eternity of what that's going to look like. We get little glimpses of what citizens of the kingdom are to be like even here and now. And Jesus gives what that looks like and he goes into how you live like a citizen of the kingdom of God in the following passages. Then he models how to pray with a focus on God's holiness and his kingdom come and his will be done. And when our focus is right and our priorities are rightly ordered, we don't worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear 
because we know the one who holds all of these things in his hand. And we trust that he alone will provide us with what we need. And it's trusting what he knows I need is better than what I think I need. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? Trusting what God knows I need is better than what I think I need. And I really love the way that Jesus ends this passage, this section. In verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So our point here, tomorrow has its own trouble. Live today worry-free in Christ. Tomorrow's got trouble. It's coming eventually, right? We, got, we know there's trouble out there. Why? Well, we had trouble yesterday, and we didn't know about it the day before, right? So we know there is trouble out there, right? I'll tell you a little story. In 1931, there's a missionary named John Vinson who was working in North China. An army of bandits swooped down on his village, looting, burning, killing. They took 150 Chinese and John Vinson captive. When the government troops pursued, the bandits offered Vinson his freedom if he would write a letter to the commanding officer of the government troops asking, him to, asking them to withdraw. Vinson said, will you let the Chinese prisoners go free? Certainly not, was the reply. Then I refuse to go free, he said. That night, the bandits tried to flee, taking Vincent with them. Many were killed, and many of the captives escaped. Vincent could not run because of a recent surgery. A little Chinese girl later reported that a bandit pointed a gun at Vincent's head and said, I'm going to kill you. Aren't you afraid? Now, as you listen to that story, how do you feel? How do you feel as you listen to that story? Have you, as you listen, projected yourself into John Vincent's place in the story? Do you feel some kind of power coming alive in you to respond very calmly and die in a peaceful manner? Here's the point, though. You don't have to die right now. This is not what is being asked of you right now. It might be tomorrow, but that's not today. That trouble is not today's trouble for you. It might be tomorrow. Maybe it will come tomorrow. Maybe it will be someday. Maybe not at all. The point is that Jesus is not calling you to do what the missionary in this story did. He's asking you to have the power or serenity. Excuse me. He's not asking you. He's not asking you to have the power or the serenity to die like this today. The point is to have trust in God that when tomorrow's trouble comes, whatever that trouble may be, that he will give you what you need in that moment, in that time. John Vincent responded by looking up and saying, no, I am not afraid if you kill me, I will go straight to God. And he did. John Piper sums it up well. Today's mercies for tomorrow, excuse me, today's mercies for today's troubles, tomorrow's mercies for tomorrow's troubles. As your days, so shall your strength be, Deuteronomy 33, 25. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. The troubles and the mercies are appointed day by day. So 
to not worry about the troubles that may or may not come tomorrow. Uh, There's another story of a little girl. She was sitting on the curb of the street, just bawling her eyes out. And this man walked by and he stopped back when you could stop and talk to kids without everybody thinking you were a weirdo, right? Um, He stopped and he said, little girl, what's the problem? What, what is going on? She said, I was just thinking about someday I might, uh, when I grow up, I might have a little girl that's just like me and she might run out in the street and get hit by a car. I would be just devastated. And he said, yeah, wh- why are you worrying about what hasn't even happened yet? You know? But we do that. A lot of us think about that. We're like, well, that's silly. Why would we ascribe the trouble that we don't even know if that's going to... She didn't even know she's ever going to have kids, you know? And yet, we do that with our own lives, thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in a month, or what's going to... Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We need to trust the Lord day by day. See, for most, most people think that it's like, well, I've got to get this big, huge, you know earth-shattering thing that happens in my life and then I that's my calling and I go do that and I know 20 years before what I'm supposed to do in 20 years and I got to do this and that's not like like the the normal the normal existence for a believer in Christ is day in day out plodding along faithfulness following step by step by step that doesn't mean we don't plan that doesn't mean we don't have foresight on things and, and see oh I've got this thing I want to do in five years okay it doesn't mean we don't do that but it means we don't dedicate our time and worry to that. So what does this mean for our lives? What, what do we do with this? Well, I think we need to think about the direction of this teaching. First, don't stop thinking about the future. Don't stop thinking about the future. Don't worry about the future. Don't let it fill you with anxiety because you trust that the same God that's with you today will be with you there. But don't stop thinking about the future. You shouldn't stop planning, okay? If you're thinking about where you're going to go to college, you should still think about where you're going to go to college. I think that's okay. Don't worry about it. If you're thinking about when you're going to retire, I think it's okay to still plan and think about that. I think that's all right as well. Don't stop thinking about the future. Charles Spurgeon, my favorite old dead guy, right? Uh, He says, a man will do little by firing off his gun if he's not learned to take aim. So we've got to aim. you got to aim before you fire, in other words, right? So it's, it's not about living haphazardly. It's not living haphazardly. But living with full and complete trust in God for our tomorrow. I want to tell you, God can be just as present in your planning as he is in the very day today. And the example I'll give is my sermon planning, Right? I've had people in the past who I'll tell them, yeah, I'm setting out my sermon calendar for the year, for the next six months or whatever, and I know I'm going to be in this book, and I'm going to preach through this book that's going to take, you know, 12 weeks, and this book, and it's going to take three weeks, and this, you know. And the question sometimes, occasionally comes up, oh, you plant that far out. Well, aren't you leaving room for the Spirit to work? Well, let me ask you this. This is my question for them. Don't you think that the Holy Spirit of God indwelling the believer can be just as present and active in the planning and preparation of that four months out, six months out, as he can the day of? 
Because I promise you, most of the time, it is not a good plan to get up to preach and not know what you're going to preach about. (laughs) All right? Is there room to be obedient if God wants to change something along the way? Absolutely, 100%. But just know that God can be present in your planning. So this, what the, I don't want you to th- go the other way with this. Well, I'm not supposed to worry, so I shouldn't bother planning anything. Now, that's not what we're saying at all. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It doesn't mean we should copy the lilies and the birds and just not even plan or store up or do anything. But it refers to not giving excessive care to anxiety and worries about the needs of our future. So we should, don't stop thinking about the future. Second, we need to have a determination of our, what our attitude is going to be, to determine what our attitude is going to be towards worry and towards trusting the Lord. The first one is just know your Father's love. Just believe that the Father loves you. That if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, You've believed the good news of the gospel. You've surrendered to him. You've trusted that Jesus has finished work on the cross, taking your sin and giving you his righteousness, dying in your place the death that you deserve because of your sin. And you've trusted in him, knowing that you have the Father's love, that you are in the family of God, and therefore God will take care of you. So determine to know the Father's love. Second, value my Father's kingdom. Value the Lord's kingdom. Not just value it in word, but in deed, in the priorities we set up, the things we do, how we order our life, how we pray. Remember, Jesus is touching on all of this in the Sermon on the Mount. It's all connected to value God's kingdom and try to see his will accomplished and his kingdom come. And third uh, determination of attitude is I'm not going to be a fool. I'm not going to be a fool. I'm not going to allow worry to seep in. I'm not going to allow unbelief to seep in. But I'm going to pray like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Because worry tries to work its way in. Like, Like the enemy doesn't want us to trust God right? Worry tries to work its way in. Unbelief tries to work its way in. That sin nature is at war. The the nature and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit at war with one another. So commit to a determination of attitude that I'm not going to be a fool. And then uh, third is, is determination of actions. Determining our actions should make me do three things. Number one, live loose to material things. Hold material possessions and money loosely. Yes, we have plans, we have things we want to do, but we're going to hold it loosely for the glory of God and for the kingdom. Hold loosely to material things, hold tightly to eternal things. Second, properly locate my priorities. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness Seek first the things of God and let everything else come as other priorities. Now, in that, you're going to get some of your other priorities ordered for you because when we're seeking God's way and God's kingdom, he has an order of our priorities first. And so you will order your priorities according to 
the word of the Lord, his kingdom, living as a citizen of his kingdom. And third is give properly. Because I trust God to provide, I will be obedient and generous. If we are truly holding loosely to material possessions, then we're going to trust God to provide for us and we're going to be obedient and generous with our material possessions, whether that be money, things, and I would say even our time, which is not material, I realize that, but our time sometimes gains us material possessions. So we're going to be obedient and generous and give properly because we trust that God will provide. We give a portion, so for example, we give a portion of our income to the local church because we trust that God is going to provide for us out of that which remains. And then in some way, that which remains is actually greater than the, the whole. At this time, I'm going to invite our uh, musicians to come back up, and I'm going to, I'm going to close with, with one final story I want to tell you, and that's this. There's a pastor Not me, by the way. This is not me. There's a pastor who'd been on a long flight from one destination to another, and the first warning of approaching problems came when the sign on the airplane flashed on, fasten your seatbelt. Do you guys know the fasten your seatbelt sign? It came on. That was the first sign of problems. Then after a while, a calm voice came over the intercom and said, "Uh, we're uh, we're not going to be serving beverages at this time as we're experiencing a little turbulence. Please be sure your seatbelt is fastened. As he looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming a little apprehensive. Later, the voice of the announcer said, We are sorry that we are unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the skies, and within moments, that great plane was like a cork tossed around on on a celestial ocean. One moment, the airplane was lifted on terrific currents of air. The next, it dropped as if it were about to crash. I have experienced that, and it scared me greatly, all right? The pastor confessed that he shared the discomfort of those and fear of those around him. He said, as I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous, and many were wondering if they would make it through the storm. Then suddenly, I looked over, and I saw a young girl. Apparently, the storm meant nothing to her. She had tucked her feet up underneath her as she sat on her seat. She was reading a book, and everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes, then she would read again, then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not in her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that, as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when all the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid, and this pastor could hardly believe his eyes. It was not surprising, therefore, that when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark, our our pastor lingered and and, and spoke to the little girl whom he'd watched for such a long time. Having commented about the storm and behavior of the plane, he asked why she had not been afraid. And the child replied, because my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. 
There are many kinds of storms that buffet us. There are many worries that try to work their way in. Physical, mental, financial, domestic. And many other storms can easily and quickly darken our skies and throw our life's plane into apparently uncontrollable moments. We've all known times like that. But let's be honest and confess, it's much easier to be at rest with our feet on the ground than when we're being tossed about in a dark sky, right? But let's remember this. Our Father is the pilot, and He is in control, and ultimately taking us home. So the question is, will we trust Him to provide for us and take care of us, even in the midst of the unknown that we face? Would you stand and pray with me? God, I come before you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the application of your word in our lives. And I just pray you'd help me, Cal, me, uh, to trust you when worries come. When great concerns about future uh, events and things coming and things that might or might not happen or might or might not be, I pray you would help me to not get lost in that, but to trust in you and your good purposes and your provision and your care. And I pray that for everyone in this room, for everyone who's watching online, everybody who can hear the sound of my voice if they're listening to a recording of this in five years, whatever, somebody stumbles upon it on the internet, I pray that the truth would be in our lives, that we would trust you over our fears, over our worries, over where we're going to get our next sandwich or our next pair of pants but that we would trust you and your provision, Lord. That we would believe you. That we would throw all of our trust and our hopes on you so that if for some reason you were not true, we would be dashed. But because we know you are true and you are certain and you will hold us and you will provide for us that we will trust in you in all things, Jesus. Be big in our lives. Let us share that truth with those around us who need it so deeply. In Jesus' name.